Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo.、Uh, a little while back, I did a podcast、uh, about the Tum Pai method of Kajukembo, and, and、uh, Sifu Bob here was kind enough to jump in. To talk about,、um, to talk about the history and the methods. From, from the line. Now, Bob is back.、Uh, apparently, Bob has a, a really huge following. <laughs> He's famous. I didn't know that. <laughs> I interviewed him the first time. I mostly just wanted to get the information I needed. And、uh, I did get a, a slew of messages. And,、uh, and uh, I just got a, really, got a really positive Ohana. They were all like, had great things to say. And、um, and they, they, they loved him so much, they,、uh, they demanded. <laughs> I'm not going to say demanded, but they, they requested. A lot of people requested that I please have Bob back on. And、uh, specifically, one person had a question.、Um, this is coming from,、uh, from another Bob, which made things confusing because I was like, why, why, is Bob, <laughs> why is Bob asking me about it? <laughs>、uh, I have to do the conversation. Oh, wait, that Bob, Bob, not Bob Hewer, Bob Melander. Bob Melander.、Um, so,、uh, hello, sir. My name is Bob Melander. I'm a seventh degree black belt under GM Bob Hewer. And I have a Tum Pai school here in Apex, NC, North Carolina, I guess. I'm really bad at that stuff. And、mm-hmm. um, I really enjoyed the podcast. The early history of Tum Pai is something that many students of Tum Pai are unaware of. So, what was missing from the podcast was the one that we did last time is how has the current definition of Tum Pai evolved into its current state? So, we're going to start with a QA and then we're going to also go into Bob's martial arts journey after I just throw this question out real quick to Bob. So, how, how does that work? How is the current definition of Tumpai the same or different? How has it changed? Well, you know, the last time we talked, I basically talked about the history up to about 84, 85. And,、um, you know, what's happened between then and now? You know, how did we evolve? The, you know, what directions did it go to?、Um, Remember the, the four unique qualities that c j o Imperato、um, said we needed to be considered a branch was、um, incorporating Tai Chi into our curriculum, revising the tricks and forms,、um, herbal medicine, and then outdoor training. That was the additions or the changes that he wanted to see to his Kaji Kimball you know, before he'd certify it. So,、um, Really, at, at, and by 85, my teacher had turned his school over to me in 1979. And for three years, I was the only school in our group. And,、um, and that's when we did the work on, on looking at the forms and the tricks and seeing if, if we saw things that we needed to revise. Kind of to get the format of the revision was the whole piece is what can. What would work for a smaller guy? What, what do you do if you've got the size mismatches against you?、Um, so,、um, which is kind of in a technical sense where soft style comes from. You know,、um, I, I was 160 pounds at the time, and some of my training mates were 260, 240、um, big guys, and other guys who lifted weights. So, It was a bit of an eye opening when we,、um, 
you know, so I, I think they understood. I understood hard style and their thing was trading punches with them wasn't a very good idea. I didn't win those things. And um, and I, I told you my teachers, I what I'd call his evolution was putting push hands and chi sal um, into a moving format, what he called soft sparring. And the idea was trying to learn how to react instead of reacting by opposing something, you reacted by moving out of the line of fire, which I think is a, a, a fundamental defensive position. You know, it works in warfare. You, if somebody shoots at you, get out of the line of fire. So even if you're a heavyweight or a super heavyweight, still getting out of the line of fire is, is a very logical path. Um, and it makes a lot of sense when you're, you know, against bigger guys. So, um, you know, we we didn't really do tons of work on the tricks because most of the time um, we didn't need to. I remember talking to C. Joe Imperato about um, we we do the um, the punch counter, the first punch counter that everybody in Kajikimbo does, the inward block with the strike and kick into the groin, you know, falling with a punch. And and I go, we used to do it by leaning back as we kicked, you know. And he goes, no. The head, head movement like a boxer would. Wow, that opens up a whole different way. And my first thought was, you know, we think we're revising. Maybe what we're facing was instructional drift. Maybe it was right, and we just, as time went on, we distorted it. You know, um, and and that possibly could be. But um, so the whole emphasis be, beyond our normal sparring and everything we were doing was hey you know are we doing these principles that you might have from tai chi of effortless effort proper breathing um uh yielding to the line of force you know um forms you saw it a lot forms were somewhat easy you went from a, a strike block you know to a, a move like you do in push hands or chi sal where you move your body out of the way and stick to it um, almost more of a pulling if you went, you know, to a yang aspect of it. Um, but it was a lot of work. You know, it wasn't exactly popular with my peer group because we were all at the point of five, six years, seven years of training, you know, testing for black belt. And now, gee, are we going to change everything? So, and, and he explained, no, no, we'll, I'll test you on the, on the Kaji Kimball curriculum. But if you want to get ranked in Tumpai, you've got to work on revisions and know the new stuff. And uh, so that, you know, I was the first one to get ranked in Tumpai in first degree. Um, Blair Schmidt, uh, Doug Bailey, Jay Berkey, uh, Jay and I tested at the same time, but they all got Kaji Kimball first degrees. I got a Kaji Kimball Tumpai first degree. Um, at that point, my teacher moved to Brookings, Oregon. And then he would drive back up, see who Jan, you know, to teach us. And, um, and then the next one to open a school after, you know, I took over see who Jan's school was Doug Bailey. He opened one in Vancouver, which is close to Portland, Oregon. And, um, but we were continually pushing our heads. Then Jerry Weldon followed about a few years later and opened another school. Um, how this continued to evolve was see who Jan, he got real into his herbology. You know, he opened a shop in Brookings. He was, uh, and Tai Chi really became his love. 
So he really went that direction of, you know, he's an avid hunter of, of trying to develop the outdoor training, uh, continue to learn more and more Tai Chi forms. I mean, he must have known 10 forms, and Tai Chi forms only. And uh, um, where Doug and I, we, we wanted to compete. And, um, and I was really into fighting principles. And so we, we saw the one group that, that pushed Tai Chi more, and then Doug and I's group who were really into the, I guess you say, still the application, you know. Um, and, but we tempered it now of going, hey, this has got to work for a little guy. Everything we do has got to work for you know, the size mismatch. And, um, you know, that's kind of the path it took and continued on as of our two main groups. I think if there was something unique at the time was C. Joe came over one time and, and early 80s and, you know, washed his train. And afterwards he went, you know, you guys are like brothers. You guys are so tight, you know, and he goes, I wish all of Kaji Kimball would be like that. He goes, I, he goes, I'll go to schools and guys will be trying to knock each other's head off to impress me. And he goes, you guys are so tight. That's what we should have. And I think that's something that Doug Bailey and I, especially, we were very close. We lived together when we tested, you know, um, you know, so we always maintained our schools were very close. You know, it wasn't competitive whose school was better. It was you know, like cousins and fun get togethers. We pushed hard. We drove hard. But um, so that was, I think, something we felt was unique to our Tumpai was maintaining that Ohana before maybe it was so known to how people see it today is that brotherhood and supporting each other. You know, um, another thing I think that was distinct maybe with the Tumpai push that Sifu Yan and his generation did, I did, was the, you know, we considered the way of the fist. You know, Kempo, as we understood it, was the law of the fist. I think that's, that's somewhat a good way to look at how people in Kaji Kimball, some look at it, it's all about self-defense and it's the law of the street and this is what it's about. And, um, you know, Sibu uh, Dacascas, he was the one who, who brought in more of the Chinese uh, techniques and arts, but also their philosophy of how you do martial arts. And we call that way of the fist, meaning it's a way of life. You know, that's what you do um, as the person you become. So I don't know if it was the emphasis is so much on defeating the opponent on the street is increase your skill, perfect yourself, you know, um, have it be positive. I mean, um, the words your way of life, how, how you look at it as a whole person. You know, the, the other thing I think is unique was as your age group, you know, as our group aged, you know, we saw instead of that group of 20-year-olds that were training like Navy SEALs, so to speak, um, you know, we saw some of our group just really embrace the Tai Chi more than, say, doing their forms. And uh, they still like to spar. They still like to rumble. But, um, you know, age thing became a factor to where, yeah, they could see, hey, this is maybe how we should do this, you know. so. Uh, and, and, you know, we had technical principles that we, you know, felt made us unique. But um, philosophically, that's, that's, I think, where it went. 
and and you start to recognize um, different body types and different ranges of combat create different needs. You know, in my opinion, you can almost watch Kaji Kimball go from this five so-called methods and and uh, founders and then start to condense back like humans do to what they do best. You know, maybe it was tournament fighting or maybe it was self-defense street techniques and uh, maybe they didn't like to kick as much. So, you know, does it come back to the, the Kempo format? format? You know, Siva Dukaskas, um, he was, you know, not a lightweight and beast, but by physically, he, he was a smaller guy. His stuff was fast. He emphasized the fast, putting the leg into the hands. He'd say, hey, you know, Kimple has great hands. We we inherited that, but you got to add a leg into it, you know. Um, and we tried to continue with that process. Um, I don't know if my piece went from, you know, you go from trying to be fast. I was 6'2", now I had speed. And then as time went on, I got stronger, you know, and now, hey, power is kind of a cool thing to start focusing in on it, you know, so you kind of grab what fits your range. But um, with Imperato's method, and our piece was that, okay, we're going to focus now. Uh, Kaji Kimball is what you might have looked at at that point. Uh, original style was kind of a mid-range art, you know, um, then, of course, you know, we see the, the transition. Hey, you need mat work. You need grappling, too. and uh, But also that inside range, you know, how to operate really tight. You know, um, we, had, we had one drill that I think was unique. We called it the pit. And we had these wrestling mats. And we put two of them in a corner. And they were, you know, stacked up two feet high. And then you'd dump everybody in that small area. No gear and go and you found you may go down but you don't want to be down in that close thing you're getting stomped on kneeled on you you know you can't hit back and uh, and it was almost at times we turned the lights out and i i found the transition from all this uh chi south you know wing chun push hands you know uh training to go once the lights are out and you're, you can't see, you're not shielding like you might in boxing. You're attaching. You want to feel what's going on. And I went, oh, this is the range now that with all these drills we've been doing. And, um, you know, and using the leg at the same time. So it wasn't high attack, low attack. It was three-dimensional attacks like Sifu Al could do so well. And, um, but also moving bodies, moving body weights and, and being able to, deal with bigger guys in that close confined area um you know that's technically what we, those are the drills we started doing more and more you know um it's fun and i liked it it was it wasn't my natural was to stay outside had a good sidekick you know and, and uh, keep them at range and move but uh you know all somebody had to say is well you're not very good at it uh, okay, that put me to work, you know, off I went. So, and, and Doug and I, he was, uh, I've heard this say with other peers before, he was like the yang and I was like the yin. And uh, I think over time we changed, 
you know, uh, I used to say, you've got no tact, you know, and he goes, you overthink stuff. But, um, you know, technically it was really good to, to see his way of thinking, you know, versus mine. He, uh, you know, there there was a time in, in Kaji Kimball where we saw some of the branches, like, quit doing tricks. You know, they didn't do the, the punch counters, kick counters, kind of like the classical mess thing you'd hear from Bruce Lee. But, um, you know, our opinion was, how else are you going to learn? That's that's how the founders put judo and jujitsu. You know, how else do you learn those techniques in it? And, um, you know, um, I lost my point with that. Uh, you know, continuing to add to that, you know, into that that type of a range. So anyway, I lost my point. Typical. <laughs> no, no, I think so. I think I think you I think you thoroughly answered the question though, as far as um, that time period, how it evolved, why it evolved, and um, a pretty good tie-in as far as your martial arts journey at the time, because you were mentioning. I put a note here. You were mentioning that you you were one of the first people to get a first degree black belt as a Kaji Kembo student and a Tumpai student. Is that correct? Did I did I hear that right? I was the first one under Sifu Yang to get a, a Tumpai rank. Under Sifu Yang. So yeah. now we're gonna grab that and hopefully um to the other Bob to to Bob Melander. <laughs> hopefully that answered your question, man. And <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna kinda now go a little past um before that. And mm-hmm. I I'm wondering uh, and this normally I, I would have started this kind of question, but we're doing it kind of all over the place today, which I don't mind either. Uh, so yeah. you, when, how, what got you into martial arts? How how did you go? What were you? How, I guess we'll start with yeah. When when and why and how did you start practicing martial arts? <laughs> There's a couple of reasons behind that. Actually, it was in, in '74, and I was 20 years old. And um, I was psyched on the Bruce Lee movie. I thought, God, that's fantastic. It'd, it'd be so cool to, to know that and be able to do that. So I always give some credit there. The Bruce Lee movies got my enthusiasm going. And then, um, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't call myself a brainiac, but I was kind of like that, kind of introverted into brainiac. And self-defense was clearly um, something I needed. You know, you had bullies, you know, it, it was a, Blue gra- or blue collar town, you know. Bullying was a fact of life in high school, and uh, it doesn't. It didn't just go against my. You know, nobody likes being bullied, but I didn't like thinking a bully could could make me have to do things that were wrong, because uh, out of fear of being beat up. So um, those were probably my two motivators. Um, that and I was turning out for a basketball and a college team, and, and I was the last guy cut. And I thought, if I get cut, I'm running right over to that school and joining classes so I don't get bummed out. And so those were kind of the three factors that, and it was the only school at the time. You know, um, there wasn't any Taekwondo, there was nothing else in this Longview Kelso area of about 60,000 people, I suppose, in this where I live. And uh, Gary Forback has a funny story because he actually had been trained in California, was up on a job and drove by and, and was shocked to see this little, you know, Kaji Kimball sign when, you know, Cal Bay Area is big. And he tells that story about, I couldn't believe it was Kaji Kimball. So he trained about a year with my teacher. But um, 
anyway, that, that was my drive. And then it was, I, I felt my, my only natural talent was I was flexible and I was fit. I, you know, I've been turned out for basketball. So sweating. So what, you know, but, uh, and then I met a really great group of guys, you know, some very driven. Um, the senior guy would, soon was Blair Schmidt, who was younger, but he was a heck of an athlete. You know, as a sophomore, he took third and stayed in the 100-yard dash um, and just was a strong, driven guy. Instantly loved Blair. And then there was Jay Berkey, who had been in Vietnam for two tours as a, in recon as a Marine. He'd been shot twice. He finally got put out because he had a landmine and uh, just an incredibly driven guy, lifted weights all the time. And, you know, those are my seniors. And then um, Jerry Weldon and Doug Bailey, those are the big boys. Those are the bruisers. Um, Doug was a really good all-around athlete, probably, but big. And then Jerry was a competitive bodybuilder. Um, super heavyweight, second place in Washington State. And, uh, you know, so we had quite a mix and we drove each other. And and see if we yawned and been in the military and he kind of knew how to organize our group. And we, you know, we worked out, got into advanced class and you went up to his property every morning on Saturday at seven. And you had another advanced class on uh, Monday nights at seven, two hours. and um, then you had to, you know, help teach a class twice a week. Plus, you had to make your other classes. So it was it was uh, prohibitive to most people, other than kind of single guys who were either going to college or you know you didn't have you know a lot of, of uh, girlfriend demands at the time. And and it was just what we did. That was our hobby, and and uh, we lived and breathed it and trained hard. You know, had had a great time in my life. You know, so, um, but in those days, like my teacher, he didn't teach kids. How do you teach kids? Not serious. So he didn't, we didn't teach kids. Um, he, uh, uh, we didn't do tournament sparring in the school. You know, we sparred, but he never let us set up a ring. Um, uh, and I, I, you know, I was training when they invented safety gear, <laughs> you know, and realizing their thought was well this is to protect your hand and we're going no you know thinking that you could move your head out of the way till you put gear on and you got hit in the face you know you know and and without my teachers knowing it then we started putting on boxing gloves and you know kind of but he was a pretty strict teacher about trying to keep your egos in check um and a change was is when he left, uh, you know, we, we sparred in tea stances back in those days and uh, because we kicked legs. I mean, he was a tremendous leg kicker. He believed, hey, everything's kicked groins, kicked legs, pulled hair, no rules in, in a fight. In fact, our, our Kelsey school had vine maple sticks and staffs all around in case anybody ever challenged our school. You know, we do multiple attacks and tests. And one of the guys grabbed the stick and used that. And he goes, and we're thinking, can you do that? He goes, there's no rules. And uh, so anyway, and we had uh, great peers coming in. You know, Rich Manetti, my teacher's teacher, Joe Clark, Fred King. And Fred King kind of became my advisor, uncle, at a point. Because 
you couldn't you couldn't go to school and spar till you're black belt. And once I got my black belt, Doug and I raced down there because one of Fred's best friends was Dan Anderson. The time Dan was the number one lightweight sparer in the country and competitor, and Fred was rated as a light heavyweight, was number one in the Northwest. And boy, you went down there and and uh, eye opening, you know, eye opening to go from your small pond to a bigger pond. And, you know, my reflexes, I was blown out of the water and loved it, couldn't wait to go back, you know. Um, but that's the, um, and then at the same time, my teacher had a, you know, a very direct approach he wanted for reality and, and being becoming a true martial artist. And he'd say it, nobody's going to be a fighter in this school, You're a martial artist, and they'll always be better because you'll still have the fighting part. Um, I believed in that, and uh, and I and I knew something would tell me he's short time. I'll have a short time, and he may be gone. So I tried to hit every class he possibly had, and and it, and it was true. You know, then he moved to Brookings, and I didn't have him. And uh, yeah, I would have liked to have trained with Fred King and do way more tournament stuff because I had that sports thing in me. But I I love the fact that my teacher. In his art, he, he went from the application. I think his beauty was he had the Kajikimbo application. Then he did Tai Chi, so he could see the difference between some move way out here versus a push that was on center line and using body mechanics. So, um, and that that clicked with us, you know, that moving out of the way and, and uh, coming in. And we do this drill called soft sparring. And and I'd get killed by all my senior guys. And and I'd go to him and, and I'd watch him. And these guys would fall all over the place. They couldn't touch him. And he was 160 and they're 260. Yeah, they, they couldn't touch him. And um, that fascinated me. And I'd go, well, this one's grabbing, this one's shoving, and this one's hitting. He goes, watch how I deal with it. And he goes, they'll make you be better against a guy who grabs or pushes, you know. And, um, you know, it was eye-opening with it. But uh, those years afterwards, I, I was when I took over the school, I was a junior guy in our advanced class by about six people. And um, there was some resentment. But, um, you know, it was now I'm teaching before maybe I wanted to teach full time. But, uh, you know, those students, their demands and knowing what you're teaching, whew, it, it did a big push to me to go, okay, let's get better. And it caused me, I think, to, uh, you know, so often at 10 years as a martial artist, you're really wrapped up in your own path and where you're going. It forced me to stay connected to my uh, fundamentals because I'm teaching. I got to answer their questions and just by repetition. So I always say my next 20 or my next 10 years up to 20 years was continuing to refine all the, the structure. But of course I got to keep expanding to what fit Bob Hoyer, you know, or what my interest was. So um, great path, you know, or fun to me. The right uh, and then, <clears throat> so you were saying, and then at this point now we've connected back from the earlier part of the story where you got your black belt. So you kind of we kind of mm -hmm. went, we kind of went full circle there in the, in the yeah. journey. 
Um, another thing you mentioned was, uh, and we're, we're almost we're almost finished wrapping up, but I think one thing that I like to talk to uh, to my guests about when we're talking about their journey is that transition from training, and like you said, you're focused on what you want to do, and if you continue to do this long enough, you'll end up becoming an instructor. You're going to end up teaching. Um, a lot of people talk about how it's always kind of there in Kajikembo. Like you'll be teaching from day one because of the way the rank system works. Like mm-hmm. once you get your yellow belt, you're helping out white belts. Once you get your orange belt, now you're helping out yellow belts and white belts. <laughs> as as you go through the ranks, you're consistently yeah. teaching the the ranks under you. But I think I I'm not I'm not gonna go as far as say it's unique to Kajikembo because I'm sure the martial arts have this as well. Um, but I can readily say that in Kajikembo. How do I put this? Some schools, so I, don't, I hate making generalized statements. Some schools, they're a little more protective of letting someone teach. They feel that they, uh, for whatever reason, whether it be logistically or sometimes I think it's flat out just ego, like the teacher doesn't want to have a, com- a competitive teacher in the room. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Kaja Kemper here. I'm talking about other arts. <laughs> I'll be very specific yeah. here. I'm talking about other arts. I've seen this in other arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll do stuff like uh, they, you have to be a part of the teacher certificate program to teach. And they have more like a pyramid. I don't want to call it a scheme, but they have like a pyramid mm-hmm. structure to their teaching where um, they're looking more at, it's almost like they're stopping people from teaching. Like they're not allowing people to teach. And they're very, very, uh, they're, they're only allowing certain people to teach, and as a person becomes a teacher, um, once they get certified as a teacher, then they're very they they have like a path they expect them to go on. And I'm I'm trying not to mention the name of the place. It's it's a place yeah. I train at, because I don't just train Kaja Kembo. I, I cross train. Uh-huh. I train at this place, and they it's very business structured. So once mm-hmm. you get once you around brown belt or so, if you get this teacher certificate from them, um, then they expect you to open a school, and they kind of take over everything so it's, it's like a business oriented school and yeah. why am i mentioning this because i haven't i've seen this and i don't want to use the word i used to use the word mcdojo but i realized that the word mcdojo doesn't really stand doesn't really mean that uh, a mcdojo i think has a different definition it, it's more of a friend i'll call it a franchise it's more like a franchise martial arts school well yeah in, in Kaja Kembo, because of that whole because it's coming from hawaii be more of a of a in the garage backyard at home ohana mm-hmm. kind of feel it doesn't have that as much i am going to get to my question i'm getting there <laughs> it's coming so, so my, my question <laughs> is how how was that transition for you from being a student and realize you are now a teacher mm-hmm how did you well, how, we, how, did, how did you handle that transition? Like like you were saying, you kind of mentioned a little mm-hmm. earlier. You said that it, I had the stuff I wanted to do, but in in our in our group under my teacher, you trained four years before you could test for black, and and that was a student black test. If um, the next was for one year, you had to teach and not miss one class to get a first degree, which is the teacher certificate. That was supposed to wean out those who just wanted to train on their own versus those who may teach it someday. And, um, you know, I ran my teacher school. It's a commercial school. 
Um, Doug had a commercial school. We've had a number of them. Um, you know, but back then, when you got a first degree in Kajakimbo, you were free to train with whoever you wanted. You know, you had your teacher's blessing. Hey, go out. It's like some of the, you know, you hear some of the controversy now. Well, this guy is after my students. Gee, if one of my first degrees wanted to train with somebody else, that's kind of the heart of Coach Kimball, is that's how we evolved by by picking up what others do. And I'd say, great. Now, if he decided, hey, I want to be under this guy, I'll call him my main teacher. We're Americans. You're free to do what you want to do. So, you know, if suddenly he's getting ranked by this guy, you know, make yourself happy. You're only loyal to me because you choose to be and you want to be. You know, um, um, and just I can kind of slant to. I had two another experience. I became a, a police officer at 38. That changed two things in my Kajakimbo. First of all, they're teaching you you have to expect everybody to be armed. You cannot assume they're not. So that changes your focus on self defense when you think this guy's got a gun under his coat. Um, yeah, you get real. You know, so real, maybe not be empty handed, but it certainly is what builds this piece. Um, the other thing is you're dealing with confrontations with humans every night, every day. And so you start to see, wow, this is a really valuable piece. I mean, a lot of people didn't want to do the tournaments, you know, go to tournaments. But to me, that was the only way you ever got to deal with the guy with a bad temper or bad control or bad ego. Because you had to go out there and no paper tigers, you know, you had to do it. So, uh, and some of us relish that, you know. Um, and and our art has grown, you know, in that time we've had, we got we have so many teachers. There's two other grandmasters in Tumpai, Jerry Weldon and Scott Dinger. Um, we've got a number of professors. And, you know, I think we said it, where would somebody go if they want to do Tumpai? Um, Go on the web, you can find everything. You know, it's on web, it's on Facebook, it's on YouTube. Um, we got the tumpai.com, kajukimbo.com. So if somebody wants to find it, and there's schools, and there's, you know, from garage schools to commercial schools, the teachers, so there's lots of guys. That, now, I might have rambled around your question. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I want to make sure I got that in it, you know. So, so yeah, um, so I guess... I'll make my question easier because it wasn't easy. It was a long rant into the question. <laughs> it's hard to answer. So, so how did you feel when you did become a teacher, like an official instructor, and now you have to teach? And you, like I said earlier, you mentioned it a little bit. You said, I wanted to focus on my stuff, but I also had to teach. And I'm just wondering, how how, how did you handle that transition going from... I, I had a, two, my two real good other influences. One was Fred King. And he says, whatever you do, once you get your black belt, teach. He goes, because then it, it gives you the discipline to keep showing up to the gym, to the school. You know, there's some, I, and I do believe that. The other one was Steve Wow, and he'd say, um, hop on the train. I'm going here, hop on the train with me. And I kind of looked at that with my students. Hey, yeah, we're going to work fundamentals. We're going to do all the structural stuff. But I got places I want to go. And a lot of that was through fighting principles. And so my classes would, you know, I had it, but then, okay, now here's the drills we're doing. 
they weren't the same as my teachers. I mean, I might be working initial speed or time commitment theory or whatever, but um, that's how I satisfied my need to grow in the areas I wanted to, you know. And, um, you know, but I did find it's so common to add to your curriculum. You know, Fred King told me one time, he's from the, the Chuanfa branch. He goes, Bob, he goes, I'd come to you guys test. Your curriculum at Greenbelt was overwhelming. It was more than I had. And um, and that's what happened. You know, my teacher's teacher was adding to do his Kajagimbal. My teacher was adding to it. Then, I, you know, uh, prices came, taught sticks. I was adding to it. Finally, I went, oh, my God, I've got to get a, a grip on this. We've got a billion forms and so many tricks. Where does this end? This is, you know, it gets redundant. So, uh you know, kind of came back to that reality of maybe we do this in phases, you know. And and there's two black belts. There's a black belt who's creative, who wants to open and do his program. And then there's another guy who's got a career and a family in this town, and he's never leaving. And he just wants to know some more stuff, you know. So, um, you know, you realize not everybody's wired like you are. I was wired to keep going, and, and I didn't want to be a black belt. I wanted to be a good black belt. I had some great examples of top-notch Kaji Kimball guys, and uh, that's what I wanted. You know, but I realized a lot of my peers, just they wanted to just come train, and they didn't care so much about, you know, that. Learn something new. So, you know, you balance that. You know, <laughs> it's really because what you mentioned, I, I... We've got to wrap up. I, I've been saying this for a while now, but before we wrap up, yeah. I, I'm just laughing at what you said because that's something I was just talking to another Kaji Kimball Blackfield about. I asked him, he was talking about one of his students. and I was, how long have you had this guy now? He's like, well, he's been training with me for about, I don't know, I think about seven or eight years. And I'm like, is he a black belt yet? He's like, no. And I'm like, well, what's, I'm not going to tell you how to, how to run your house because that's, you know, everybody runs their house differently. But I'm just wondering, well, why, why not? <laughs> why, why not? Why, why have you not? Why not? It's your, yeah. it's, your, it's your choice, but why not? He says, you know, well, I'm, I'm trying to teach this. And he starts talking about the curriculum. And then he starts going into a very similar story to what you just said. When I started doing my Kaji Kimbo, I had the basics and the punch tricks and these particular Palama sets and pinyon sets. But then as I moved on, you know, I started picking up more of this and more of that. And there was like more <laughs> this other, this other form that, and my original instructor, you know, and I started training on this guy. <laughs> and he had, <laughs> he, messaged, yeah. he messaged me the next day. He's like, Oh my gosh, you're right. There's just I need to I need yeah. to pour this down so that yeah. I, I'm like, yeah, because it sounds like your students are being required to learn more than you were. Right. So you, know, I, you know, and I know I'm rattling. You made me think of one more thing. My teacher's primary approach, and so was Joe Clark's, was developing spirit. That and my teacher was very into Bushido code and Wuta code. And I really consider that one of our foundational pieces in Tumpai, you know, because you face a lot in life that your code and how you decide to act, you know, was developed through that. So we really emphasize that in Tumpai. That's just as important as the fist, you know. But um, and I watched my peers, you know, you always have those are the animals in the class and, and they're really good, at the, you know, fighters. But um, he didn't care. You were graded first and foremost by spirit. And he'd point to the clover and go, that's the top. And so, you know, I used to say, I wasn't very good at sparring. Wasn't 
but I always like to think that I'd be the, the last guy to give up on my horse stance or do push-ups the the failure. And uh, you know, we we push that that philosophy as hey, spirit's your ultimate goal as a trainer. So so much stuff rattling. I gotta say this, so Harry. <laughs> well, um, Bob, we are we 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 went. I know I I know I try. I told you I try to keep it to twenty minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry that we hit. I rattle. I know, <laughs> but uh, but I I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, to all of my listeners, thanks for reaching out. I said it last time, and I'll say it again. If you have questions, I will find answers. So <laughs> you send over your question. It just so happened that that Bob was was a lot more famous than I thought he was, and I ended up with more questions than I anticipated. But <laughs> I don't mind. I'm happy to oblige. As long as, as long as that doesn't bother Bob too much to come out again. So yeah, if you no, have any I, I enjoy it. Thank you. Send them over and I'm more than happy to, to run them by whoever, you know, whoever, in this case, Bob, whoever you'd like me to run them by. Okay. All right, Bob. Thanks again, brother. Um, uh, uh, shout out to, to people that don't know. I said it last time off camera, but I'll say it on camera. Shout out to, to, to tech, tech support. I know tech support's back there helping, helping Bob out. Thanks, Steve. That bad. Um, so a shout out to you and thank you very much. Okay. This, I, I, this, I this here's my senior guy. He's my best friend. It, what was, what Steve was Larson. Steve, Steve Larson. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks very you. much, Steve. Thanks for doing tech. And, um, at the end of a 40 minute podcast, please subscribe, hit like, share with your friends. Catch you all next time. Okay. <laughs>